Hi, I'm Abhinav. I'm Madhu. Welcome to the Inspiring Idea Podcast. We interview people from across the world and share their life stories and success formulas with our audience. We hope this will inspire you to achieve your dreams. So, let's get the show started. Hello all. Uh, what a fantastic episode again today. We've got a very experienced and a goal-oriented leader with wide expertise in the management of artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, and data science projects for healthcare, B2C, and military industries, predominantly Fortune 500 firms. Giuseppe, welcome to the show. How are you going? Thank you very much. Extremely glad to be here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I have to start with this. You've got a fantastic decorated career. So we are very, very curious to know how it all began if you can talk us through this and also share a few key moments and decisions in your life which shaped this illustrious career. Yeah, well, the career started uh, about, uh, I mean, even during my university period, so more than 20 years ago. But indeed, it started even before because uh, I was always interested in um, the problem of mind and intelligence in general. So. I started reading books about the concept of mind, how a mind works. Clearly, uh, I also was very passionate about computer science. So my goal at that point was to fill this gap. I, I remember one moment in my life when I found two books in a bookstore. It was uh, probably about 30 years ago, or probably a little bit less, but more or less in that period, about neural networks and fuzzy logic. And I started reading them and it, I was so surprised about the, the potential of these things. And it was a period where almost nobody talked about them. So in that period, I started loving these things and I decided to continue in this direction. So I studied um, robotics, um, artificial intelligence, computer science. And initially in my career, clearly there was no real data science uh, data science is a new term, but mm -hmm. I started working with many data projects, data-related projects. Um, some of them were also partially related to artificial intelligence. And then when uh, there was the, the big explosion that transformed the world uh, with the first papers about deep learning, about the diffusion of these techniques, uh, well, I started moving slightly into data science and now i'm fully dedicated to data science machine learning and ai it's very similar to many other people but uh, my goal is to understand what a mind is and really if uh, ai can really become similar to human minds so uh, i keep on continuing reading about this and studying about this I got two key things from what you said. You know, one is you know during that AI winter, there's not technological advancements where AI mm -hmm. is something that will be so costly to implement for any organization. So they were skeptical into investing in AI during those 1970s or 80s, and then with the advent of cloud and data and whatnot. So and now the terms got changed, and then uh, the softwares and hardwares got cheaper. And, and data became absolutely available. So that's when people started to think data as a science and then it brought in a lot of uh, advancements in AI and data science and you know, whatnot. That's one thing that I got from you. And obviously there were a lot of people like us, you know, we are in the same generation. 
where we wanted to cash in on that opportunity and get into this bandwagon because it will help us make money and make a career out of it. And the second thing that I got from you is about how it relates to the human brain, because human brain is the still the most complex neural network engine in the whole world. And if we can crack this, I'm sure we should be able to crack any of the deep neural networks in the world. Am I right in that saying? Yes, you're right on both points. Absolutely. A brain uh, in general, even an, an animal brain, uh, a dog's brain, or uh, even a smaller one, is still much more complex than our neural networks. Even the largest networks are not comparable to the number of neurons and number of connections that we have. And we are not considering the fact that our neurons don't work like standard uh, artificial neural networks where a neuron is just a, a function, is nothing more than this. Our neurons have lots of different behaviors biologically related to, with uh, neurotransmitters. So um, uh, th there are so many gaps to fill. We have understood that there is a correlation uh, between some systems and some functions. So for example, vision works in a certain way. It's possible to make experiments to know how the cortex vision, uh, visual cortex, sorry, uh, works. Uh, but clearly there is still something missing in understanding the connection. And in particular, this part that is missing is the abstraction level that we created as human beings, as language, for example, yeah. the way of thinking, the way of abstracting, of performing um, reasonment. Yeah. And this is still something that probably will affect the next years. Yeah. I'm, I'm tempted to ask one more thing, because if you look at all these computer vision, the translation is the one important factor, which you rightly pointed now, where people are still exploring a lot. It's only, you know, based on whatever I've studied with Gartner, they're saying translation is still getting in the high 60s and early 70s in terms of accuracy compared to vision or anything else. Because one, we, we, we are humans and we, we talk sarcasm. And if you look at a blind translation, when you go to the Google and talk about that word and key in that word and then translate it into, say, German, from English to German, it becomes a completely different perspective of someone who's looking into it. So uh, where is that uh, research headed? You have got any thoughts on that? Well, uh, the difference is uh, in uh, the objectivity. Uh, vision is more objective. I mean, okay. if you have to identify a face or uh, a car or whatever else, it's extremely difficult uh, to find examples which are completely different from uh, uh, the standard ones. Uh, translation is uh, uh, instead uh, is already a problem for human beings because uh, when you talk uh, using a language, you are not simply using a language like a programming language with fixed rules, but you're using a language using your mind. So incorporating into the language a part of your experience. So the way you speak, the way you, you write, uh, includes something that is uh, really difficult to uh, model in some way. So the translation uh, now uh, is going into the direction of uh, checking a lot of texts and trying to find the best way to match, for example, different expressions in different contexts. Uh, and yes, of course, uh, the problem is much harder. Um, we probably don't need uh, perfect translations in general because uh, we can generally uh, check. But um, the reality is that if you want to 
really understanding, particularly for different languages, very different languages. Imagine Japanese, uh, Chinese, Arabic language, uh, which have, have a completely different structure. Uh, in this case, uh, the, the meaning of a word can change completely according to the context. Yeah. And this, is a, this is a big problem. But the problem is a consequence of the fact that we developed language as a way of abstract the reality. So if you don't think like a human being thinking in that way, it's quite difficult to uh, arrive to the point to have a perfect translation. The translation is a, is a real big problem in general. That's a, that's a fantastic insight. And I think, could we started discussing about how mind works as compared to how AI and how complex our mind is. I remember I was having a discussion with my father, who's a doctor sometime back. And I was asking him that, uh, you know, why we were not, why we are not able to find the cure for COVID. You know, it's taken us so, such a long time. And he said, uh, do you know, Abby, that uh, we know less about our human body as compared to what we know today about the universe. And that's a very interesting concept, right? And I like, for first second, I can't even relate to it. Like, what do you, what do you mean that we don't know about our own self? And now the, the most complex part in the human body is the brain. So it, this is how it complex it is. So that's really good. That's really good insights. Yes, um, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, uh, we know uh, many things about other organs, but we know very little about the brain. And we know also very little about the connection between mind and brain. This is still an open problem. Uh, we know for sure that the brain is uh, the cause of a mind. So if your brain works, your mind works. But the real problem here is to try to understand how these structures internally allows to reach particular levels of accuracy in specific tasks and how uh, it's possible to imagine this, this kind of uh, processes uh, through a, a, an artificial system. So what I said before, when, when, you, when you start thinking, what, one important concept when you start thinking about mind is the fact that you think about I, I, when you say I, uh, there is, it's like there is someone inside you that is saying I, but that's why inside you is you. So it's you that you are studying your mind, it's you, that you are checking your mind, but that, that one that is checking your mind is the same eye that is checking itself. So it's like a self-recurring um, loop and it, will, it can continue forever. So there are gaps from this viewpoint. We know that um, there's a, a big difference between animals uh, and human beings uh, in terms of the human cortex, the, the, the external part of the brain. But even considering that part, uh, we are not, for example, still able to understand exactly how certain processes work, how you can think, how can you, you can abstract completely some processes how you can imagine in your mind and how you can build using your mind uh, uh, some external representations and work with them. Yes, it's, it's true. It's easier to study something that is outside than something that is inside. Uh, moving on to the next question. In the last decade, almost everyone talks about AI, data science, and we all associate that with power. Now, AI is a constellation of technologies. It's massive. It has to work well with IoT, data, cloud, and other technologies for providing great experiences for human. My question to you is, how would you unpack AI and data science 
and how it works well with supplementary technologies for achieving exceptional service to humanity? Yes, thanks for the question. Uh, well, uh, first of all, data science is about data. So we need, first of all, data. Data uh, is easily generated. There are so many ways to collect data. Data is everywhere. Uh, your, the temperature of your room is uh, a set of data, what, whatever is, uh, can be considered data. The problem is collecting this data, putting the, this uh, data, data sets, let's say, together and analyzing them. So what, the, the reality is that at the beginning, the data sets were isolated. So you had a data set and you worked with that particular data set to solve a specific problem. Thanks to the advancement of uh, IoTs, for example, now our wearables, now we are able to collect many more data sources. We can put together more data sources and we can integrate them to find complex situations, to model complex scenarios and to, to, to make complex decisions. So it's absolutely a, a normal process. In certain sectors, is, this is essential because you cannot work with a single signal, but you have to put together many signals. AI is becoming more and more pervasive, also thanks to the fact that we, are, we can incorporate AI into mobile devices. We can incorporate AI into uh, smart homes. We can incorporate AIs wherever we live, not just in a specific uh, I mean, imagine that you want to use AI like business intelligence. In that case, it's like a silos. You are there, you have your data and everything ends up there. But your life continues, continues when you have to work, uh, to, to go on, when you have to go to, to, to shopping, when you have to plan your vacations. If you have AI everywhere, because you have sensors, you have uh, suggestions, you have everything that is related uh, to your activity, thanks to the fact that the data is collected uh, almost in real time, well, uh, the AI becomes really pervasive. Yes, we are collecting all the data. Uh, how, how are people connecting them? Connecting the data is, is a skill, isn't it? So do you reckon we are using the data because Abhi and I have been uh, researching something about the data and its usage. Um, you know, we're collecting lots and lots of data. We call it as data, data everywhere. But not a drop to use. So are we putting our mind and brain together by having a multidisciplinary people work together to use the data in, so that we can get the maximum out of it? What is your suggestion and what, what have people done so far? Well, it depends on the, on the companies, uh, it depends on the, on the purpose, but the answer is generally uh, yes in many cases. Um, in particular industries, uh, clearly, uh, I can make some examples. Uh, for example, if you have an airplane, uh, you have to take data from many different sensors and you have to integrate all these sources. And there are different people with different uh, expertise that have to analyze the interactions of all these elements to understand which configuration is the best one. And the same is uh, in healthcare. The same is uh, in um, many other sectors. So uh, what's happening in indeed is that many domain experts that were before were just purely domain experts. So imagine a physician. A physician in the past was just a physician. He received the, the results of um, some, for example, blood tests and used them, not, nothing more. 
Nowadays, a physician is involved in the process of modeling, of understanding if a model works correctly, of uh, which data can improve the model, which data instead is useless. So it's becoming a more and more integrated process. So yes, I, am, I think that more people are being involved in this, uh, in this process, thanks to the fact that data collection is becoming more and more pervasive. And we have the possibility because we can also uh, answer the question when they ask, can we add other elements? Can we, for example, have signals about something specific? In the past, it was uh, a challenge every time. Now it's quite simple to say, yes, of course, I have to plug another sensor and everything is done. And thanks to this, we can have uh, uh, systems that can correlate factors, which in the past were completely uh, uncorrelated. So it was necessary a specific analysis. Now in uh, healthcare, we can analyze uh, the effect. Uh, it's, a pure, it's a technical term, but it's called comorbidities. So if you have a disease, uh, which how this disease can affect other diseases or, or, or other treatments, for example. And this is extremely easy nowadays, thanks to the fact that we can use very large data sets where there are many different parameters coming from different uh, elements, mm -hmm. tests, uh, vitals, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of the industries, if you look at it, it's, you've got a broad spectrum, right? You've got small, you've got medium, you've got large, and uh, COVID situation has made everyone innovate a lot. You know, we see Zoom and you know, skyrocketed, right, in terms of its profit and all that. And how do you see or recommend small small businesses implement um, AI and combine that with data science and, say, for example, and having a coffee shop or and having a very small business uh, around the corner? So do you think all those small businesses who should also, must also think about implementing AI in their uh, solution? Well, uh, this is a tricky question. I mean, uh, small businesses uh, um, can have uh, already the possibility in some cases to use existing solutions. For example, uh, yes, a coffee shop or uh, yeah, a small shop in general can implement some solutions to uh, simplify the way the, the customers can interact with them. Uh, so in general, it's possible for this kind of uh, very small uh, businesses to enter the world of AI thanks to existing solutions. The real challenge is for all the other businesses, which instead must enter. And when I say must, I mean, they can decide not to enter, but if they don't, they lose the game and probably they will lose the game forever. Because what we are observing is that in many areas, so many competitors are entering. Some, some companies didn't have any data science strategy in place. They created a data science strategy after observing competitors doing this. And they observed uh, that if they didn't do immediately, they lose any chance because there is someone else and when there is someone else that uh, will become a leader in a specific sector, uh, even if you are, you were a leader, everybody forgets about you and uh, start thinking about the new leader. So that's why it's important for businesses to be ready. And in particular, from medium to large, the, small, uh, the smallest ones can easily use existing solutions I mean, it's easier. It's like for the single user. 
the, the, the medium size and the large one uh, instead are probably in a, in a more complex scenario. They need to, to, to work on data science strategies. And do you think investments are happening there? Well, absolutely. I think uh, the majority of businesses are investing because, uh, again, I repeat, of course, there are exceptions. But in general, when C-level uh, executives look uh, the, the, the main competitors and they see how the competitors are working and what they are doing, they cannot just close their eyes. This can be a fatal error. You can be out of the game completely after a few years and it's impossible to restart i mean to say okay now we have seen enough we can start because in that period the evolution uh, allowed other companies to arrive to a point where they have a, 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 an advantage which is too large to cover yeah so yes some investments are are coming in in almost any sector not all the companies are doing exactly the same way uh, not all the companies have the, exactly the same awareness. Uh, some of them uh, need guidance. Uh, so they, they need uh, somebody that can help them in understanding how a data science strategy must be created. But in general, from what I, I read, I see every day, almost every company now is becoming data. Even sometimes, uh, I, sometimes I joke about this because even sometimes too much, I mean, you see AI on everything. I'm, I'm expecting to see AI on the bread when I go to, to buy bread, uh, AI-oriented bread uh, in, the, in the shop. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that is becoming more and more purposive. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the next question, which Abhi is so passionate about. Digital yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think my next question is related to uh, digital transformation. And I think it's become really relevant, especially post-COVID. And a lot of organizations are talking about or they have started the journey or they're currently part of this journey. Now, I believe education is very critical for any particular organization who are going through the digital transformation phase. Uh, I feel that uh, educating a business professional is much easier compared to educating a tech professional on business. Do you agree with this statement? And how do you think we can bridge this gap? Well, I have to say um, it depends. I can agree uh, or, or either disagree, it depends. Because uh, in my opinion, it's about all about the mindset you have. Mm -hmm. If you have a flexible mindset, everything is different. Uh, you can think about people that started in tech and, and after 40 years, they, could, they have the same exact position uh, since the first day because uh, they loved their, their work and they continued in, uh, their, uh, in their work without changing. I call this like a, some a sort of extreme pragmatism. You have to solve some problems using your tech skills. You do this and it's fine. Uh, the same can happen on the business side because on the business side, there are people who are very focused on, for example, on, um, on the profit or marketing or other aspects like this. And they don't care about any particular application or different uh, solutions. What, what they look for is for achieving a high profit. So it's just about the mindset. If you have the right mindset, so a flexible mindset, open to new skills, open to new possibilities in general, in your life, since the first years of your career, you can easily shift or you can easily integrate because it's not a problem of shifting or 
leaving something. It's a problem of integrating. You have to enrich yourself, not leave what you know. You have to include in your mind, in your, when I say mind in this case, imagine like a, a set of things that you have in your- Preconceived your notions. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean like a treasure that you have and you enrich it. You continue adding more and more. So nowadays, when you try, when when you find the people with the right mindset, and I found so many business people with the right mindset, it's extremely easy to talk to them. But on the other side, you're right. There are people uh, who are, for example, on the tech side, who are extremely uh, adverse. Um, they, they they don't want to learn the business because they don't consider it something uh, interesting they consider it boring what I, I i try to explain sometimes is uh the fact of the, the problem of the value i make the, the example i mean some classical examples like edison for example i mean people who were extremely tech savvy but also they had a clear idea of the value because if you don't sell what you do you cannot leave i mean mm-hmm. there is nobody paying for your ideas. You can create a software that is fantastic, but the software is not used by anybody. You can put on GitHub, it remains there, and nobody is going to pay you. After a month, you have to ask beg, to beg for money in the street. I mean, so you need to find a trade-off in your life. And this is true also for AI. And what is your influencing very- strategy? So if you go to a senior leader, any business leader who's a decision maker in terms of any investments, what, what are the top one or two items that you would tell that person? Well, we, 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 we can look at the problem from different points. One point is, for example, to uh, save money that was invest in the, uh, invested in the past for uh, particular activities which are useless. I'm not talking about uh, cutting uh, jobs I'm talking about sometimes wasting money for activities which can be instead made better by uh, some systems which are cheaper now, or for example, uh, by improving the effectiveness in general of the same existing uh, people uh, by helping them through devices or through some tools. So here, clearly it's very something that is very related to the specific business. But in general, we know that the efficiency, uh, the return of the investment uh, is uh, extremely important. And what we are looking for, for example, for COVID uh, was uh, that there was uh, a moment looking, uh, I'm I'm thinking now, but it's it's about three months more or less, it was where the world was completely blocked. So in that moment, all the companies had to find a way to solve the problem of reaching their customers without having people that were able to reach the customers. So being able, being fast enough to change a strategy and to use all, all all the channels that are available nowadays we are using Zoom. Uh, you, you said before Zoom exploded. Yes, it's true. Uh, but there are so many other channels that can be used. But the company must be prepared because you cannot immediately change your strategy. Uh, you, you cannot decide, okay, yesterday we did it this way. Tomorrow, unfortunately, there is a lockdown. So you have to use Zoom. If you are not prepared to 
replace all the whole processes in with the new strategy, uh, you, you you risk You're to gone. waste. Yeah. No, you, yeah, exactly. You, you you have no chance to 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 reach a result. You can risk to wait for too long, and uh, we have seen what what happened. And so it, it's extremely important um, in, uh, in, uh, in helping uh, the senior leaders when uh, designing a, a strategy to be pre predictive. I mean, to have the ability to predict what can happen and to prepare the company to be ready. And now uh, the, um, the, the, the smart working approach is becoming also more and more pervasive. So the companies are becoming completely different uh, they are becoming more prone in this uh, in this approach, and now the people even that, that were used, to, for example, the salespeople that were used to visit customers, now are more uh, working using other devices, yeah. talking using webinars. There are so many virtual conferences, yeah. and too many of them. Is, too many of them <laughs> these days. Yeah, I know because it's even easier. That, that that's the fact. Because in in the past a conference was a was a huge cost for a company. Yeah. Imagine if you, if you have to pay for a conference in uh, another continent to a set of physicians, you have to pay a lot of money nowadays. Yeah. Instead, it can just invite them. They yeah. stay at home on their sofa and they can participate to the conference. Plus, the infrastructure cost for every single employee has drastically come down, isn't it? And it's Absolutely. beneficial for employees and for the employers. Uh, my next question is every revolution, you know, brings up new inventions, like whether it's a steam engine or electricity or IT systems, uh, which in a way helps to improve the human life. There are always a fear at each stage that these inventions would result in human job losses, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people would have asked this question to you in the past. What do you think uh, are the impact of AI in terms of uh, the fear that we have with AI technology moving forward? We need to consider one thing. Human beings always used machines. Mm -hmm. And when they found uh, a new machine to solve a problem, they replaced people with machines. This process started uh, millennia ago. Yeah. And clearly there was uh, um, a very huge, I mean, the, the, the during the first revolution, there was a big jump. During the second one, third one, fourth one, there are other jumps. So we are observing this, uh, this, this process. But the reality is not that we are losing jobs. We are changing jobs. Mm -hmm. Because uh, what we have now is less manual jobs, less boring, repetitive jobs, and more, let's say, let's call them intellectual jobs. So it's true that AI can reduce many, uh, the, the, the need of many specific jobs, but this will push the new generations to study and to be prepared to work at a higher level. The companies that we have nowadays were non absolutely non-existing 100 years ago. Uh, think about 100 years ago and think about how many people now can work on computer science can work on electronics, can work on avionics, can work on uh, telecommunications. In the past 100 years ago, 200 years ago, the majority of people were craftsmen or there were artists that were clearly, and they are still uh, nowadays. But if you look at some particular jobs, 
they were completely non-existing because the, that industry was not existing. So now we need more people with a specific specialization and this will change day after day. I don't, I don't see a, a very drastic process, honestly, uh, because uh, this process started uh, thanks to the fact that computer science started uh, already about, I would say 50 years ago, there was mm -hmm. uh, um, the, the beginning of the diffusion. So nowadays uh, we are in a moment where a lot of people are ready to enter this world. They have uh, the skills or they can easily get the skills and this will continue. Um, I think it's inevitable. It will happen also in the future. I don't see this like a threat, a real threat. I see, I think, uh, I see this like a normal process uh, for humanity. We cannot continue doing the same things. We don't need anymore. And in the past, the people were sometimes uh, did everything at home. They could not buy soap, for example. They could not buy bread. They have to do everything at home. Nowadays, we don't need to do everything at home. And the same is for other services. In the future, there will be, uh, it will be more automation and there will be more people working on higher level jobs. So I'm, I don't see it from a, a pessimistic viewpoint, uh, but of course it's important to be re also realistic and saying, yes, some jobs will be replaced. Yeah. It's true. And it's a funny but, question that I've got, uh, you know, when you invent something, when you're trying to think, you are, you are able to create something, which means you, you have a higher order of IQ. But when you compare that with a lot of automations coming into play, means that the automation is making us so stupid. Even though we say that we're going to do some intellectual jobs, how are we gaining the process of thinking and inventing something? So isn't it a misnomer? Well, uh, automation doesn't mean that we are giving uh, full control. Automation uh, means that we still have in general, and it's, it, it's the reality, we have the control but we don't perform some activities. We leave uh, the execution of the activities to the machines, but we have full control uh, in the processes. So uh, the, the creativity, for example, if we talk about creative activities in general, they can be helped by machines, but there is generally someone, some human being behind. Mm. Uh, some processes that were in the past were completely manual, now they are automated, but there is always someone behind. Think about uh, um, in healthcare, in um, surgery, uh, there aren't many tools. In the past, the surgeon had the scalpel and other tools and had to do everything manually. Now there are tools that can help the surgeon in performing specific operations. Uh, these activities are replaced by machines, but not the intellectual part. The intellectual part is still ours and we have the responsibility of managing the intellectual part and, we, and improving in intellectual part. So the machines are an extension. They become cognitive extensions. That, that is the, an expression that I read many, many years ago and I, I continue repeating it. We can extend our cognitive functions by using machines, but we are, are subjects 
I don't see the scenarios where machines will become dominant uh, they, and we become slaves uh, like in some uh, science fiction movies. This is something that, <laughs> honestly, I absolutely don't like. Mm. Um, at least 50 years away. That concludes episode one. In the episode two, we are going to look at what is explainable AI, what are the ethical considerations, and some of the books which Giuseppe has written, and most importantly, careers in AI. Thanks for tuning in, my friends. We have got thousands of people listening to this podcast and wanted to thank you all for the love and encouragement so far. Some of you have reached out personally to us and thanked as well for producing great quality content. It would be awesome if you like and follow our LinkedIn page, Inspiring Ideas. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button from where you are listening. We are across all the key podcast channels, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., we will see you with another great episode next week. Thank you so much.